Welcome to Season 2 of The Century Plan, a podcast designed to help you achieve better outcomes for your money. In Season 1, we delved into the science, history and philosophy behind financial planning. This season, we'll talk about the tools you can use to map out your financial journey from now to age 100. And we'll cover how to cope with unexpected changes. And we'll be talking with our guests about their own life experiences, which have led them to rethink their approach to planning. All this and more with Dennis Hall and Sarah Steele on The Century Plan. So, Dennis, last time we talked about cash flow modelling and how it's at the very core of what we do. It's a positive tool, but we did mention it has limitations. Um, For instance, you said it produces straight line graphs. So let's look at the limitations today. And what do you mean by that? So although it's a central tool to what we do, it's taking numbers and certain assumptions and it produces a series of graphs, I suppose. And I've said before that these are straight line graphs. So it's assuming a set rate for inflation, a set rate for investment returns, wages, growth and such like. Um, Okay, but real life isn't like that. We've seen inflation jump from 2% to 10% in two years. So I guess we're saying, how do you model that? In a way you don't, it just becomes too complex. What we're really trying to do is build some scenarios. And we know that the relationship generally between uh, interest rates, wages growth, inflation rates, in investment returns, the relationship between them is, is, is pretty stable. Um, there are some variations on a year-by-year basis, but it's pretty stable. So we're going to use those to try and keep this model as simple as we can. There are a couple of things that we can build in there um, around the complexity. Um, you know, I'll talk about Monte Carlo modelling around the uh, investment returns, because investment returns might be one of the, the more uh, volatile things in the, in the model. But we, and we can add that in, but the more variables we add in, the more complex the chart or the, the, the modelling becomes. And I guess the difficulty of using a model like that is that you'll never then reach a conclusion in order to take some action. Okay. And we talked last time about negative events, um, which you might want to consider. So um, what happens if someone dies? What happens if you die? What happens if you're made redundant? Um, All sorts of things like that. How do you model that? And again, this is a very difficult one because we don't know when those things could or will occur. Um, so I, the easiest way is to take a worst case scenario. Right. What if those things happened today? Um, or if you were approaching, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to do this modelling to try and work out um, your financial independence in retirement, what if the stock markets crashed the day after you retired? So pick a worst case scenario, model that and work forward from that rather than trying to plot every single possible occurrence at every single possible time it could happen. Okay, so it's important not to get fixated on all the changes. Don't try and put all of those changes onto the model. It's not. What we're trying to produce is a, is a, is a tool to help us make sensible decisions about what to do with our money. Um, it's not a static thing. It's not a once-in-a-lifetime sort of modelling. Uh, it's something that we want to revisit periodically and make adjustments based on what's happened in the past and any new knowledge about what might happen in the future. Okay, so this is a tool that looks forward to help 
Um, are there are there ways or, or tools that you use that look back and and to see what's happened in the past so that you can sort of predict the future? Yeah, there are some tools. We, there's a tool that we use that uses actual data for both investment returns and inflation. Uh, going back, uh, we get reliable data from about 1915 onwards, and we can model what it would have been like. Uh, what it would have been like to have. Um, if we take retirement, for example, yeah. a lot of people come to us because they're, what they're doing is working and accumulating assets in order to stop work and um, support themselves on their on their savings and investments. So if they were going to retire at, say, 65, and we'll assume they die at age 100, it's 35 years that that money's got to support them. What we want to do is see what would have been the best outcomes um, and what would have been the worst outcomes using that sort of model. Okay, and do you do that over specific times then? Because you said you started doing it and it, this kind of data goes back to 1915. How, how do you do that? So, so we would take, take that 35-year period from 1915 to 1950, 1916 to 1951, etc., um, and just keep rolling those forward. Okay. And so I would know, for example, that um, for a UK investor with a global portfolio, actually... If, if you were to retire in something like 1929, that might have been possibly the best year to have retired. The worst year to have retired over 35 years might have been um, in the late 60s, just as the UK was facing that roaring inflation of the 70s. Okay. So which do you choose? Um, the best case? The worst case? Somewhere in the middle? I think we would always have to start with a worst case scenario. And then have some rules to determine what you're going to do in the future. Sort of, if you were going to review your drawdown, your income annually from those savings investments, um, what are the rules you're going to use to award yourself a pay rise? You know, are you going to award yourself an inflation-linked pay rise um, only in the good years? What do you do in the bad years? So there are a series of rules that we can apply to that model to try and make sure that your um, your Income, that retirement income that you have, is broadly keeping pace with inflation, but also making sure that you don't leave too much money in the pot for when you die, and money, money that you could have used to enjoy yourself and spend. Yeah, okay. So what I'm understanding is that um, the assumptions and the rules are pretty critical. Um, and you've mentioned the way you set inflation and growth, um, etc. But surely a key element when you're sat with the client is knowing what the desired outcome is. So, you know, we've looked at data and modelling, but what do they actually want? How do you get to that? So, as we said with all of these models, is that there's a lot of data that goes in there. We need to know the starting point. What are the assets that they have today? What is their income? What is their expenditure? All of those things. But perhaps the hardest thing to get a handle on is what does the future look like? What does retirement look like? For some people that, you know, if that's a decade or more away, it's not anything they've given a great deal of thought to. Mm. It's kind of, I'll just, I, I assume everything will just continue as it is. Yeah. But this, this is a period when we move away from data and we start to explore the unknown. And as I say, as people rarely think about these things, but we're probably talking about the final third stage of their lives. I mentioned 35 years earlier, but whether it's 25 years or 35 years, it's a long time. Mm -hmm. And people probably 
need to be encouraged to talk about what lifestyle is going to be looking like and whether that changes over that period, the kind of legacy that they want to leave. You know, do they want to spend down all of their assets or do they want to leave something behind? Very important questions to understand if you're trying to create a financial plan because you want to know what the cost of all that is. Yeah, and you've referred to this um, in the past or in past episodes as as the number, what's your number? Um, So how do you get... How do you get that information out of out of your clients? Have you got techniques that you use, particular questions? Well, this is when it, I suppose my my work moves from being a, a manipulator of data to more of a coach. I need to encourage people. I want to encourage people to think about the future more than just well, uh, you know, on day one I'm stopped work and I will just continue doing what I'm I was doing before um, uh, and maybe I'll address my hobbies maybe I will do a little bit of this or a little bit of that but you know when people do eventually stop work they're going to be they've got a lot of time on their hands they those first that decade when they're going to be very very active yeah let's start looking at what life could be like what you would want it to be like. So I use a series of tools. Um, one of them are the things that within my world we call the kinder questions, help determine what's important. Um, and there are other tools we use, but the kinder questions, because what I don't want people to do now is go running online, I have to look this up. Let's talk about what they are. It's a series of questions that we use to help people just think a little bit harder about what's important. And the first one goes a little bit like this, that if money was no object, and I'm not talking about being a Euro Millions winner, but if money was no object, um, what would life look like? And the, I suppose the answer to this tend to be people thinking about the ideal house they want to do, what their day would look like, mm. and there's a lot of travel involved, there might be some materialistic things. Yeah. It's a sort of a spending type um, question. Okay. But that's a start. All I'm trying to do is free up the mind a bit. It's quite broad, isn't it, that one? It is, very. The next question, and it, you know, um, you've gone to the doctor. And the doctor says, look, I'm, I've got some bad news for you. You've got five years left to live. No pain, you know, life continues as normal in, in that respect. But in about five years, that's, that's it. What are you going to do? Because this changes some of those things that you might think are important mm. when you've got this almost unlimited time ahead of you. And what I find the response to these questions uh, are beginning to shape is that travel, if any, becomes a bit more defined about why would you want to go, instead of just ticking boxes off, why would you want to go to specific places to do things? Who do you want to do that with? Friends and family become more important, and it's less about acquiring um, materialistic assets, but but looking at experiences that can be shared with yeah. people that are important and also looking at your own personal values a bit more about the legacy that you would want to leave behind, how do you show up in your community and things like that. But then there's a final question in this series and okay. it's that you've gone back to the doctor mm. and he says, I'm terribly sorry, I've made a mistake, but it's not five years. You've got to You've got about a day or two left to live. Again, no pain. Um, and this isn't about what are you going to do in the next 24 hours. It's not like that. The, the, one of those films in Hollywood where yeah. you've got 24 hours to save the world or something. 
the responses are, what is it that you are going to miss being? What is it that you've not done that you would have liked to have done? What yeah. are those things? Yeah. And this very much, um, when I've run this exercise with people, it is very much about relationships and shared experiences mm. that people could have had. And it, really, that's the focus. Does it bring people back together as well? I mean, I think, <laughs> you know, don't regret things well, on your this, deathbed. Do you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, there's, there's someone I've lost touch with that I really wish I shouldn't. There mm. are some bridges that, that I wished I'd mended that I, that I hadn't. And I do find that people um, do go away from these meetings and start to make or remake old connections that they've not had before yeah. um, and discover the things that are really important to them. It's not the latest car, the newest watch or any of those things. It's the, what is it that they want to do? What it, that, that, con- that emotional connection yeah. that, that we're all missing. So once you've gone through the kinder question, say so three questions, do you always reach a conclusion? We don't. And the kinder questions themselves don't always work with everybody. Um, sometimes that's a lot of, of feelings to process. I've got other tools and questions that might help discover and uncover. But often this work can take um, several years to, to really reach a conclusion. I mean, when I started doing it early on, um, when financial advisors were deemed to be just financial, talk to me about pensions, talk to me about investments, mm. don't talk to me about life and don't coach me. I had people push back and and it, that doesn't stop me asking the questions and no. I would go back and ask the questions. And eventually can people began to see what it was about. This is about, you know, um, how is, how am, what am I saving my money for? What is it all about really? Um, and people's priorities do change. It's about planting a seed. Yeah. And, and I've found sometimes working with couples that, that sometimes they're, their ideal lifestyles are not always aligned. They're quite closely aligned, but some things are more important to one than the other. And they can begin to have these conversations about how they're going to include both of those things in that relationship and what retirement begins to look like for them as a couple. Um, so we plant that seed. And so the, I suppose the planning that I do and the model, we get right back to that model, the modeling that I do, has got to have the flexibility and the ability to change as people discover a little more what they want to do and how that money is there to serve them Mm. later on. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't want to be flippant. So, you know, you're a little bit life coach, um, a little bit marriage guidance counsellor and a a little bit Davina McCall. Davina McCall? (laughs) Long lost family. No. Have you seen it? Um, when people no. reconnect after years? No, never heard of it. Very is emotional. this a television programme, is it? It is on the television, yes. Yeah, on the radio format. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's not about the money, is what we're saying, really. It's about what money can do for you, um, how it can be a facilitator for the things that you want to do. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, great. So what do you think people who are listening, our listeners, should take away from what we talked about today? So... I suppose we've got a number of tools that we use. Don't get fixated on the tools. They are tools, not rules. Okay. That's one thing. And, you know, we revisit those periodically and have some flexibility in that. Appreciate that things will change. You know, when I look at my own life 
in decades. Each decade looks completely different to how I thought it would look mm. when I was when I was trying to project forward. And that happens with with all of my clients. When we revisit some of these plans a decade later, life doesn't look anything like the original plan that we set out. And we really want to make money be the enabler of a good life and not a problem to be sweated over, essentially. Okay. That's, that's it. That's perfect. 